Thank you so much for tuning in to this message from New Life Church. Stay tuned because what you'll hear this morning is guaranteed to help you know Jesus better. And where we're at in our text this morning in the series on Better Not Call Saul, I started thinking about just like some of my favorite songs. And I realized like some of my favorite songs of all time are, are one-hit wonders. And when you think about like a one-hit wonder, it's really hard to create a hit. But even though it's like really hard to create a hit, that it's never the goal to be a one-hit wonder. It's always the goal to be the Rolling Stones, you know? And so I was just kind of thinking through, like, okay, so what are some of the, like, my favorites? So I went each decade and just kind of picked um, my favorite, my favorite one-hit wonders. And so the first one, I went, I went back to the 70s, so I don't know if they made music before 1970, but I, I know they did then. And so this was my, uh, my, my one from the 70s. If you don't know this song, you should know. It's by the, by the band Looking Glass. Yes, that, okay, that is a, okay, for those of you watching online, like, you should stay on this feed, but then open up YouTube in the other tab and listen to it afterwards, but okay, this, this is incre- it's an incredible song, it's, this, it's, this, it's about this waitress who falls in love with a sailor, and she loves the sailor, and the sailor loves the sea, it's a great song, I listened to it on my way in this morning, um, very good. Uh, from the 80s, this song was uh, my favorite one from the 80s, by Tommy Two-Tone, Jenny8675309. You know, like, I just, you gotta feel sorry for the guy who's, that was his phone number when that song came out. Because you know what happened, right? Like, tons of teenage boys called his house and was like, hey, is Jenny there? <laughs> and he's like, no. No. And you, it's kind of sad that a band like Tommy Tutone only had one hit, because that just sounds like a really stable name. I don't know. I don't know. Then you got the 90s, and you can't do one-hit wonders in the 90s without <laughs> Vanilla Ice. Like, he, Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. I am, I am proud to say I know every word to that song. <laughs> I am. I'm very proud of that. And, I, and I, just, I, I wanted to test it, so I did listen to that one on the way in, too, and I still got it. I still got it. <laughs> and and uh, actually, when I was in 10th grade at a county fair, I actually did that song for, uh, for the people. So you never, know what, you never know what I got. Um, and so that's... That's there. Like, it's a song. You can't go wrong with it. And it's the 90s one-hit wonder deal. Uh, and then, then the next two aren't as good. I'll just tell you that. But in the 2000s, it's that song, uh, Bad Day by Daniel Powder. If you guys watched American Idol, you're very familiar with that song. And uh, then the last one was more of an internet creation. And it was by Rebecca Brock, the song Friday. You guys, like, hang your head in shame over that one. But that one's good because it's Friday. And it's a good day. I'd like to see one about Tuesday, but that's so. It's like, but the goal—the goal is never to have a one-hit wonder. The goal is to have sustained success. The goal is that, man, this is look at all that we've done. And, and, and as much as those bands and creating one hit is really hard, they look back on what they've accomplished, and really what they have is they have a song to their name. And as we come to our text this morning, and we're looking at King Saul, it, and, it, and really all you need to know about Saul, if you're catching up with us, is that. Up until this point, he has not been a good character. That, that, and if you want one like little phrase to kind of get to know Saul a little bit better, is it would be that he was the king the people wanted, but he was not the king that people needed. And, and, and as much as that's true, and as much as that's, that his, that's his story, the text that we come upon today in 1 Samuel chapter 11, it's his one hit. That this is, this is Saul's one-hit wonder. This is his shot. That if, if this was Saul's story, 
And he continued to do things like this. The title of this series would not be Better Not Call Saul. It would be called Saul the Great. But unfortunately, it's not. But still, he gets it right, and we're going to acknowledge it. So if you've got a Bible, you can go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 11. And we'll start in verse 1. And we'll kind of go through it a few at a time. Um, and we'll look at, at the text this morning. 1 Samuel 11, verse 1, it says this. It says, Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, that's a weird sentence, make a treaty with us that we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, on this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I will gouge out all of your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all of Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days' respite, that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to the Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. And this is how it starts. It's a very interesting circumstance. Just to, if, to kind of look at 1 Samuel, that in 1 Samuel chapter 7, what happens is there's a victory. It's a very decisive victory that comes at the hand of Samuel, and it's, it's so decisive that there's, that there's peace in the land. And there, the peace is so unique to the people of Israel that they say, we, we, we've got to keep this going. And in their attempt to keep it going in 1 Samuel chapter 8, what they do is they ask for a king. And really, the king is a response for them to continue to have peace from their enemies. And then what happens as the story moves along, what, what, what happens is that, that the Philistines start coming from the west. And in, in, in their pursuit of the people of God as they come through the west, what we know is at this point in Israel's history, there is a Philistine garrison at what Israel would describe as the hill of God. And so you've got that coming from the west. And now from the east, you have the Ammonites. And they are coming, and they have made their way to Jabesh-Gilead, and they're attacking God's people. Just to give you a little bit of a picture of what's happening, I'll show this map. And so this is, this is Israel. Israel is in the middle. And, and you can see Ammon there in the small corner to the east, and then to the west, down at the bottom, that's Philistine territory. And so what's happening right now in Israel's history is that they are being attacked from all sides. And I have Jabesh Gilead circled, and just so you can kind of get a picture for how far the Ammonites have made their way into Israelite territory. That if you, at this point in Israel's history, if you are an Israelite, what you're thinking in this moment is we are on the verge of not being a nation anymore. That we have people coming from the west, people coming from the east, that this is not where you want to be, and this is not what you want to be experiencing if you are an Israelite. And so then you go to the situation that we see here in Jabesh Gilead. And you can put the text back up on the screen. And what you see here is you see that the people of Israel, they would be well aware of everything that's happening. And as well aware as they would be of the things that are happening, it really feels like they don't really care. I mean, think about the circumstance. They are about ready to lose their freedom. And someone comes to attack them, and what is their initial response? 
their initial response to being attacked and losing their land? Yeah, we'll make a treaty. I'd rather not fight. You can have it. We'll just make a treaty. We'll be yours. And so this guy, Nahash, who's a wicked person, his response is, if it's going to be that easy, I'm just going to go ahead and up the ante a little bit. And he says, okay, 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 Israel, we will make a treaty with you if that's what you want to do, but here's what's going to be line one of the treaty, is that in order for us to make this treaty, we will gouge out all of your right eyes. Which is, is a, really, it's a, it's a military tactic, what he's doing, okay? And so what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to mutilate them in such a way that they'll be unable to ever respond by fighting. Just to give you a picture, this is the only shield that I could find at the church, so maybe our kids need better toys. So it's probably, imagine a shield like this, just a little, bit better, a little bit bigger. And so the way that you would fight is you'd have the shield on your arm. Most people were right-handed, and so they'd pop their eye around the shield, and they would be able to fight, but they could see. If you gouge out their right eyes, the people will no longer be able to fight. And so he's saying, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's, we'll gouge out the eyes, and, then, and then, then you really will serve us, and there's nothing you'll ever be able to do. But, but it's still, it will render them less effective for battle, but you know what they'll still be able to do? They'll still be able to farm. And so the thought is, you'll never be able to fight us, but you'll always be able to be our slaves. Snaish so is like, if you want to make a treaty, this is how it's going to go. And even in response to that, I look at, the, I look at the way the Israelites respond, and I think, very strange. Like, some of you have more passion about tonight's game than they have about the idea that their eyes are going to get gouged out if they have to make this treaty. Because essentially what they say is, they're like, well, will you, will you give us seven days? I mean, we'll, we'll just we'll go ahead and send some messengers throughout Israel and hope maybe someone will save us. And in the ultimate sign of disrespect, Nahash says, yeah, okay. How little respect would you have to have for a nation to say, yeah, I'll give you a week to try to find someone to save you? You only do that if you think there's no shot. I mean, and it's kind of funny because I think about it and I think of like every bad guy in like villain movies. Like it's like this is the moment where it's like you tie him up in the room with a gun. Like just kill, like end it. But instead, like, like he's like, well, I'm just, we're just going to leave the door slightly open so that maybe something can happen. But you only do that because either you're a bad leader or you don't respect the people that, that you're capturing. And I think it's probably a little bit of both here with Nahash. And so, okay, so then, you, then kind of rem, just to remind you, so the last chapter, what happens in the land of Israel is that, that Saul is anointed king. That he's the one who, who Israel chooses to be their leader who will go before them and fight their battles. When he's hiding amongst the baggage, they see him and they say, this is the one that we want. And we want him because he can fight. And now they're being oppressed from all sides. 
and they're not looking for him. It's almost like they know the truth about him. And you see that there in verse 4, where it says, they went to the Gibeah of Saul. They weren't looking for Saul. This, the, the author is just saying, they went to Saul's town. And you know they weren't looking for Saul because you see what happens next in verse 5. And I'll just be honest with you, it feels very Saul. Verse 5, it says, Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul says, What is wrong with the people that they're weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. So the people are looking for a savior. They're looking for someone to fight for them. Saul has been anointed in previous chapters to be that guy. And they come to his town, and they don't even think to look for him. Saul finds this information out not because they were looking for him. Saul finds this information out because he's asking them why they're weeping. It's very interesting. And then not only that, but if you go back to the last chapter, what happens is Saul goes home. And he goes home with valiant men whose, God's heart, who, whose hearts were stirred. Like the idea here is that, that his, his army is being built. And what is Saul doing? He's farming for daddy. And, and I think more troubling in the fact that he's farming is really is the fact that no one really believes that Saul's the one who can deliver them. And think about times in your life, okay, where you were really stubborn and you really wanted something, even though it was bad for you, and you you, you convinced yourself. Push comes to shove in that moment when you really need that thing, right? You, You stop lying to yourself in that moment. This is what's happening here with the people of Israel. They realize they picked the wrong guy. But here's the weird part. Yeah, sure, Saul's farming. But what comes next? You see Saul can be actually everything that he could be. Look at this in the next verse, in verse 6. It says, And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly Kindled. The Spirit of God has rushed on Saul before. That if you remember a few chapters ago, that the Spirit of God rushed upon him in hopes that, that he would help defeat the Philistine garrison on the hill of God. But Saul did nothing. Here we have another example of the Spirit of God coming upon Saul, and, and this time it's a little different. And what's different this time is, one, that it says that his anger was greatly kindled. And maybe some of you see that and you think, no, that I like the idea of anger. Maybe you see that and you think, I thought that anger was a sin. I thought that anger was always wrong. And, and to that I would say, anger is wrong a lot. I think it's a lot easier to sin when you're angry than when you're not. And I think that a lot of times when we say things that we don't mean when we're angry, we regret those things that we say when we're angry. But sometimes, sometimes anger is the appropriate emotion that God wants to use to accomplish his purposes. 
You know, if someone attacks your family, what, in that moment that happens, you're not going to be like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing. <laughs> like, it's not going to happen. Like, in, in that moment when someone does that, you're going to be angry, and the God-honoring thing to do in that moment when someone attacks your family is to respond in anger to protect your family. It's an appropriate emotion. That here, God's people are on the verge of humiliation and extinction. Saul sees this. He realizes what he's been called to. And, his, and the appropriate response in that moment, if you are Saul, is anger. And what happens in and through his anger is what I would define as spirit-empowered leadership. <clears throat> that the spirit comes upon him, but what's different this time as opposed to last time. Last time the spirit came on him, he did nothing. This time the spirit comes upon him and he's angry, and he responds by being the leader that he's supposed to be. Look at this. In verse 7, it says, And he took the yoke of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messenger, saying, Who does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. And then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000 and the, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. And when the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow, we will give ourselves up to you and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day, Saul put the people in three companies. And they came in, into the midst of the camp in the morning watch. And they struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. But here you see Saul become the leader that he could be. And, and even though it's happening, you also notice that the people don't believe it. Notice he doesn't say, whoever comes out and serves Saul. No, he says, whoever comes out and serves Saul and Samuel. He's using wisdom there. He's realizing, hey, no one really knows. I'm pretty unproven, but hey, I'm, I'm, if you're, I'm with Samuel. But then what he does next, and what he does here in these verses, is really great leadership. He motivates the people and then he has an effective strategy with how to accomplish what he's supposed to do. And, and that's what you see happen. And I know it's kind of, kind of gross when you think of what he did. Like he cut up this, these poor oxen, sends them all over Israel, which just like in heaven, like there are things I want to see. Like I want to see that. Like what is the messenger like? What's the look on his face as he's carrying that piece of oxen? And then what do you do with the oxen when you give it? Like, I don't, like there's a lot of questions that I have about the oxen. But, but even though that, that happens and it's kind of, it's heavy, what, what you see is what Saul is saying. Is he saying, okay, he's saying, I am the king. It is my responsibility to protect the people that God has called me to protect. I need you with me. And if you aren't going to stand with me, it's going to cost you. 
What he's saying is he's saying, okay, you can choose not to fight. That's okay. That's your call. But if, if you do and we win, then you'll be giving me one of your oxen. And you might think, well, man, so I mean, an oxen, like that seems, and I would just say to you, okay, yes, it's, but realize, realize what happens if they don't fight. The, if, if they don't come out motivated, one of, there will be a town in Israel where no one will have a right eye, where no one will be able to fight. And he sent an oxen, not a person. And so he's saying, I'm gonna, this is intense, but not unreasonable. And, and you know it was anointed. You know it was what God wanted because you see it in the response. I, I like the way that the Message Bible translates it's verse 7. It says this. It says, The terror of God seized the people, and they came out one and all, not a laggard among them. That they were, they were ready. That they're ready to fight. They're ready to protect. They're ready to do what they're supposed to do. And so you have this motivation technique. And then you also have the battle strategy. And, and it's just, it's, it's a good way to fight. So what Saul does, and this is according to V. Phillips Long, what he, what he says in his commentary in 1 Samuel, is he says that Saul, in splitting his people into three camp, camps, what he's doing is he's, he's, he has the ability to attack the Ammonites from all directions. So there's nowhere they can flee without getting it. It's just a good strategy to, to, to use. And not only that, but they also attack, they attack at night. So the thought is, so you've got, you got the people of Jabesh Gilead, and they're saying to Nahash, hey, in the morning you can take us. In the morning, do whatever seems best to you. And Nahash and his men are probably celebrating the victory that they got without even having to fight. And while they're celebrating, Saul swoops in and, and gets the victory for the Lord and his people. And, and here's, we know that it worked. We know that it worked because it says, by the time the sun was hot, Israel had won. And not only did they win, it was a rout. That it was such a decisive victory that there were no two Ammonites left together at the end of it. That this is, this is who Saul is called to be. This is why Saul was raised up. This is why Israel wanted a king. And they respond by celebrating. That, that really the end, of, the end of this chapter is essentially a celebration service where the people of Israel come together and they say in essence, Look at what God has done. Look at this. Verse 12. Then the people said to Samuel, this is after the victory, they've gathered together. People said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today, the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and, re and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal. And there they made Saul king before the Lord at Gilgal. 
And they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. This is, this is Saul the king. And if you were to ask me, like, the, I would say this, this part, this section right here, this is where Saul showed what he could have been. This is, he looks like a king. I mean, if you think about the last chapter, the last thing we talked about was that there were, there were men who went with Saul home and they were stirred and they were men of valor. But there also were what the Bible says were some worthless fellows who were like, who says this guy can lead over us? Now Saul's in a position where people are like, who would say that about this king? Let's destroy them. Let's find them and show them who is in charge. And Saul would be able to do that as king with a blank check. He's king. And yet Saul's response is, no. He's not petty. And he's well aware of where the victory came from. He's not saying, yeah, I won because look at what I did. He's not saying, yeah, salvation came because I broke the people up into three, three, three sections and we attacked at night. No, he's saying, no, we can't defeat them because the only reason why I'm king and the only reason why we won, it isn't because of me, but it's because the Lord works out salvation. Because God is the God who saves. So you have this text. It's interesting. This is, this is Saul. And, and man, I bet Saul wishes this was the only story about him that was told in the Bible. Because he looks good. And so then the question is, as we look at this text, as we consider Saul, as we think about what this means, is okay, so what does this mean for us? Like, what, do we, what do we do with, with this text? And I think there's a, a few things. One I would just say is that some of you, when you consider your relationship with Jesus, and you consider who he is and what he's been to, like some of you, your, your relationship with Jesus and your story is similar to Saul's in that really your relationship with Jesus consists of one defining moment. And for some of you, you're holding on to some camp experience that you had when you were a kid. And you're like, man, I had that. I've, never, I've really never known Jesus like I did then, but I knew him then. Or maybe something happened in youth group, or maybe it's an action that you did where you stepped out in faith and you're like, you know, I think that I'm good because I did this. And I would just say to you, like Saul, Saul's story is not one where we reflect on and we say, man, remember that one time he defended Jabesh Gilead? That Saul's story is we look at the story like at Jabesh Gilead and we think, man, what could have been if this guy would have just been faithful to do what God asked him to do? And the same is true of you. That God has more for you than just one thing. That you're, there's more to walking with Jesus and, and having a relationship with him than one moment where you did what you were supposed to do. But really, your goal should be a lifetime that is sustained by continuing to do the things that he asks you to do when he asks you to do them. So you see that, and then maybe the question is, how do I walk into that? How do I, how do I live in a way that, that has that present in my life and to that, I would say, you see something really, I think, what I would say is an interesting formula here in the text. And I would just, I would call it a formula because I think that you see these three things present that equal victory. You see opportunity, you see spirit empowerment, and then you see practical wisdom. And when you put all of those three things together, 
you, you, you get victory. That with Saul, you, you, he had an opportunity. That, that God's people were surrounded. They needed a leader. They needed someone who would be decisive. They needed someone who would give direction. Saul was just that guy. He was, he, the Spirit rushed upon him and made him a different person. And when the Spirit rushed upon him, he was, he used wisdom to do what he was supposed to do. And all of these things, you put them together and you have victory. And so I think for us, it's important for us to look at our lives and kind of evaluate it against that. So the first thing we have to look at is, okay, so what is the opportunity that God's brought to me? What is, what is the thing that is before me that God created me to do? And, and, and hear me, everyone has something. Sure, Saul's was dramatic. He was the first king of Israel. I don't know that God's calling you to be the king of Israel. And if he is, don't tell me because I'll make fun of you. Like, I don't, think that's what, I don't think that's what he's calling you to do. But there is an opportunity that's before you. It could be through your workplace. Maybe God's given you a role. And you're able to impact people's lives that through, this, through, through what you're able to do. Maybe there are people that you work with and God has put them before you. And, and he, they're in your path so that you can help them know Jesus better. That everyone has an opportunity for, maybe for some of you, like if you're a parent, every day you go home and you see your kids, you have an opportunity to help them know Jesus better. And here's, here's all I'll tell you. We will do the best that we can on that side of the building. I promise you that. If you don't reiterate the things that we say back there, we're only going to be able to go so far. You have an opportunity. And I would point out, too, that opportunities, like here in the text, that often opportunities come in the form of a challenge. That if, if you think of Nahash, if we were to just stop the story in verse 4, who's saying, this feels like an opportunity? You have a, a wicked person saying, I'm going to gouge out everybody's right eyes. No one's like, I'm going to sign up for that opportunity. No, no one wants that. And, and the same is true for your life. The, the, there are opportunities that God has given you, and they probably feel a lot like challenges right now. But the cool thing is that the bigger the challenge, the greater the opportunity for God to do something where only he can get credit. Part of what makes this story ama so amazing is that no one thought Israel could win. They were so unconcerned with them that they let them look for someone to save them and oh man, they found someone. So whatever that thing is before you, God has put it there. But then you also have, with an opportunity left alone, it's just an opportunity, but what you need is you need spirit empowerment. That this, you think about Saul here in the text. And the thing is, we're talking about this in teaching team. We're talking about how, how Saul didn't look like Saul. He didn't act like Saul. And it's because the Spirit came upon him. And when the Spirit comes upon you, you don't look like yourself. You don't act like yourself. You're better than yourself. Because the Spirit comes upon you and gives you the ability to do things that you wouldn't normally be able to do. 
Now you hear that and you think, well, okay, so, but that's Saul. Like that's, that's, that's an experience that surely would be unique to the first king of Israel. And I would say, not if you ask Jesus. That Jesus came into this world, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and he rose from the grave. And when he rose, he sent his spirit to dwell in you so that you can do what he's called you to do. I love the way that John says it in his gospel in John chapter 14. He says this, he says, Jesus speaking. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, how? For he dwells within you and will be in you. That this thing that Saul experienced is something that is for you, according to Jesus. But you need the practical wisdom. We look back to the text prior. The Spirit had come on Saul once before, but he didn't do anything. If we look ahead at Saul's life, it's actually, he actually does the right thing, but he does it without God's help. So for you, as the Spirit comes, the question is, okay, so God, then what is the next step that you want me to do so that I can be most effective in doing what you've asked me to do? But that's, that is what this text presents to us. And so as I close this morning, I would just ask you to consider with me, what is that opportunity? What is that thing that God has put before you, that he's called you and asked you to do? And and as you consider that thing, are are you relying on his spirit to help you get through it? Are you asking God to give you the wisdom to accomplish what he's asked you? Or are you just saying, you know what, I'm going to take this one on on my own? Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe the Spirit's dwelling within you and you know what you're supposed to be. You're like, oh, I'm just going to sit back and do nothing about this. And so as we, as we close, I would just like us to pray, God, what is it before us? What is it that you've asked us to do? I'm going to pray that we would open our eyes to the reality of what the next step might be. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we're thankful that you give us your spirit. And God, that your desire in that is that we wouldn't just have these one-time deals. But God, that your desire is that we would, that we would have sustained, a sustained relationship with you where we continue to do the things that you ask us to do. And so, God, I pray for everyone, everyone here that's, that's listening to my voice, whether they're online or, God, whether they're in this room. God, I pray that you would open up our eyes to the reality of the opportunity that's before us. I think for, for, most, of us, uh, uh, for most of us in this room, God, we know what it is. And I just pray that you, would, that you would help us as we know what it is to walk by your spirit. That as you dwell within us, God, that we would would sense that and that we'd have a sense in whatever we're doing that, God, that we are doing what we've been called to do. God, maybe there are people here and they really just feel confused. They don't know what it is that you're asking them to do. They don't know that. And I, I just pray that you would help them to see the opportunities that are before them. 
whether it be friends they come in contact with, whether it be family members who they know, whether it be a job, whatever the case might be, I pray that you would help us all to beware of the opportunities that are before us and that your spirit would come upon us and that we would do the right thing. And then, Father, I can't help but pray. And I just wonder if there's any of us who the, our relationship with you is just, we're holding on to one time. We're holding on to the one time we got it right. The one time we did what we were supposed to do. And, and God, if that's us, I pray that you would not let us be okay with that. But that, God, that we would be well aware that you have called us to more. And God, as you called us to more, help us walk in the victory that comes through doing what you've asked us to do. And maybe for some people, that's the need to put their faith in you, Jesus. I pray they would. I pray they would confess their sins, that they'd believe in their hearts, that, that Jesus, that you were raised from the dead, and that their hope would be, because you were, they will be too. God, we, we celebrate that hope this morning. Thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in to this message from New Life Church this morning. And if you'd like any more information, you can check us out at nlspringfield.com.